Father, we, we thank you this morning that you have allowed us to gather together for express purpose of bringing you glory through worship. For it is the purpose for which we have been created, the purpose for which we exist as believers in Jesus. So this morning I ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we would receive. Lord, you'd help us to drown out the noises that come from our world and from the evil one, God, and that we would focus in on you and hear from you and receive from you, that we might glorify you and know you more fully. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let me just give you a hint what we're talking about today. Living Hope is the title of the sermon. In fact, we'll be doing this for the next couple of weeks uh, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. That we have a living hope. Those who are believers in Jesus, who have accepted Christ, who have trusted Christ for their lives. Our living hope is this, is that God has redeemed all who have called out for him. All who have repented and received of his grace and his forgiveness and that our lives now are being lived for the glory of God. Even our sufferings, even our difficult days, uh, God will redeem all suffering. God will redeem all things for his glory. And our purpose is to bring him as much glory as we can while we're here uh, to make him known as the God of the earth. That others might taste and see that the Lord is good and experience his salvation through the person of Jesus Christ. That is our living hope. If you ask the average person, obviously, what is your purpose? Most people will say, you know, I don't know, just to exist, have a good time, maybe make some money. Is that it? Is that all there is? I mean, that's a pretty fatalistic mentality, philosophy of life. Uh, Because when difficult days do come, when people who are close to us do die, then what is the hope? There, There is nothing else unless you have a living hope. As we look at the book of First Peter, this is not a real popular book in America. If I ask you right now, how many of you, your, your favorite book is the book of First Peter? Hardly anybody would raise your hand here in the United States. If you go to Indonesia, you go to China, you go to Iran, and you ask believers who've been persecuted, what is their favorite book in the New Testament? Many will say the book of First Peter. Because the book of First Peter Tells people, look, persecution is coming. Hard times are coming. It's not a matter or if. Matter of fact, because you are a believer, that is the whole context of this book. Because you are a believer, you will experience persecution. There will be difficult times. There will be difficult days. So Peter is writing this book. He is writing this letter to the believers, letting them know what is about to come. Matter of fact, Peter and Paul, uh, who are the two primary leaders of the early church, will both be killed in, in the next couple of years after this book is written. Anywhere from one to three years later, will both be killed. And so, as Peter is writing this book, he is doing so with that understanding, with that knowledge. But, you know, for you and I, we he is communicating them the living hope. You and I have that living hope. And the best way I can illustrate this is in this manner. Most of you know I'm a, I'm a huge LSU fan. I'm from Louisiana. And so that, that's just a big deal for me. And and when I do my sermons, I typically do most of my uh, research and uh, my outlining of the sermon on Monday. That's when I do most of it. And then I just try to pick up illustrations here and there throughout the rest of the week. And then Saturday night, I go back to my office and I review and I go through everything and go through it several times and try to make sure it's all put together. Sometimes you, you probably wonder if that happens, but it does. And uh, <clears throat> so... 
what happens, though, is is on Saturdays during college football season, LSU just ends up playing at night a lot of times. And so what I do is I, I record it. I record it on TiVo. But because I am not a tremendously patient guy, I don't want to wait to get back home and watch it. Plus, it's going to be later, 10 o'clock at night, and I'm not going to wait till Sunday and watch football on Sunday when a game's already happened and somebody's going to tell me something. And besides, I just don't want to wait. So I go ahead and find out what the score is, okay? So before I leave my office, usually I've gone online, i found out what the score is, and I, I know who's won. And so Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, whenever I want to, I watch that game. And if I watch it live, I'm like, way too intense. Like, it's way too big of a deal. And we got this wacko coach who calls these morbid plays. And, I mean, it just stresses me all out, man, because I don't know what's going to happen. But when I T-vote it and I know what the score is, it doesn't matter. Interception doesn't matter. (laughs) I don't care. Fumble, who cares? It doesn't matter because I got a hope. I got a confident expectation because I know how it ends. All right? I already know what the end's going to be. That's what we got. Those of us who are believers and followers of Christ, we've got a living hope. And that's what Peter is communicating right here at this, in this text. Peter, the apostle, the early leader of the church. Peter, the one whom God said, hey, you want to get out of the boat? Come to me. You can walk on water. Peter, the one who made the great confession that I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But Peter, also the one who decides to whip out his sword and cut off the servant's ear of the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, also the one who denied Jesus three times. Peter is a, a, a very vivid picture of that old saying, God loves you just as you are, but he loves you way too much to let you stay that way. We see the evolution of Peter, how he becomes a man after God's own heart, a man who writes this scripture, a man who helps lead the Christian movement along with Paul. Peter, an apostle. He's called Simon 50 times or Simon Peter or Simon 50 times. Simon was his original name. But then when Jesus took him and made him his disciple, he said, I'm going to call you Peter, which means stone. You're going to be the stone for me. You're going to be a foundational pillar. We see that described later on in the Scripture. I want to use men like you to make an impact in the world. And God certainly does that through the Apostle Peter. Even though he still has two natures. As a matter of fact, sometimes God will call, Jesus will call him Simon later on. I think it's an indication of the two natures. There's that nature that I'll deny, but then there's that nature that I will die for you. And we all struggle with that from time to time. And Peter is completely transformed. The recipients of this letter are Christians who are scattered out through the known world at that time because of persecution, even though it's not a national edict. It's starting to happen in certain pockets and in certain areas. Uh, They're starting to experience persecution. And we'll talk about that in just a moment and why that occurred. Now, I'm not going to get into this. I actually really prayed about this. I was I was going to get into the whole election um, kind of issue, Calvinism versus Arminianism. I've chosen not to do that through prayer and common sense and have decided not to do. I really was. I really was because I'm actually not afraid of it, but I am afraid of simply just making you 
confused and, and leave here with uh, less understanding than you came in. There are some papers in the back that give you the positions. And uh, I know a lot of pastors will take this particular text and use this exclusively or not exclusively, but for primarily for the purpose of understanding election soteriology, particularly Calvinism. Now, I, I'm sympathetic to Calvinism. I, I would not call myself a Calvinist. Uh, and I struggle, those of you who know what that is, I struggle greatly with limited atonement that God, uh, Christ only died for the elect. I do acknowledge this, though. I do acknowledge that there is an elect. We see that in the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, they were the elect, the nation. God uh, procured them. God selected them. And their purpose was this. It was to bring glory to God and to draw other nations and other people to know Yahweh God. That was the purpose. That's why he did that. And some did. It didn't happen like God desired, certainly, but that was their purpose. And today God has the church and the church is to draw people to know Christ and to know him. And so uh, the question is not, does that exist? The question is, does God still allow people to come into his kingdom or has it already been selected and determined? I would be happy to have that conversation with you one on one. And let me just tell you this. The real answer is you don't know and I don't know. OK, that's the real truth. I don't know how it all works. I just know that God does it. I just know that God draws people to himself. I just know that it's a gift of grace and mercy that God brings people into salvation. And I can't tell you how all that works in the mind of God. I can't completely explain that system. And I know we all have our little theological systems. And look, I went to seminary uh, for over three years and I paid good money to believe a certain way. But can I tell you this? When we learn those systems, sometimes we put God in a box and say, God, this is how you work right here. And we make a God of our mind. And when God gets out, nope, God doesn't do that. Well, then he's not God. Okay, God's going to do a lot of things that you don't understand and can't explain and don't fit your soteriology or your theological system. And if we can just admit that, then we can all be friends. Okay, and we can all get along. But when it has to be the way that I think, then we've limited God. Matter of fact, we've made an idol out of God. Okay. All right. Most of you are disturbed enough, if you know what I'm talking about, to, to just leave that area now. Uh, but those are outside. If you want to pick them up and look at them and throw them away, you're welcome to do that. Okay. So, uh, and again, you would be wrong if you think you understand my position at this point. Let's continue on. Aren't you glad you came today? Okay. The recipients. And why is this being written? We talked about it earlier. Because of Peter's understanding of the persecution that exists on some level and will certainly intensify in the days ahead. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world. Now, they were strangers because they have moved out of Jerusalem, moved out of that area. They are Jews in another area. Okay, that is a non-Jewish area. There's also metaphorically, I believe this is speaking to us, that believers in Christ, the believers, the, the church, that we are strangers in this world. In other words, it does not adopt, we do not adopt the same value and purpose statement, i.e. see the film. Okay? That's why when you have to ask the average person, you're going to get a random group of answers. For a believer, I, it, I have a living hope in my purpose. We had one guy that said it on there. And that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I believe that my life is being redeemed by God for His glory. Okay? So, we understand that. And he says, so you're, but when you think that way, in that system, that will be foreign in this world. 
scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. We see right there what? The Trinity. We see the Father, see the Son, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people will tell you, Trinity, that word's not in the Bible. And they're right. The word Trinity, which means three, is not in the Bible. But we have numerous uh, passages of Scripture like this one right here that give us the Trinity, okay? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, which we call God. We believe that the Father is God. We believe that the Son, Jesus Christ, is God. We believe the Spirit is God. The three of them make up what we call God. Father, Son, Spirit, indicated here in this text. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, let's stop for just a moment here, and let's have a little bit better understanding of what's going on. Um, Fifteen times in this letter, Peter will refer to suffering. Suffering, that theme keeps coming up, and the eight different ways he will explain it. And um, it's a concept that in the Old Testament, believers a lot of times had a hard time with because they believe, you know what, if you're good, good things will happen. If you're bad, bad things happen to you. Uh, and they really struggled, i.e. comes the book of Job, when it didn't work like that. Peter's making it painfully clear. Let me tell you something. You're not, you're literally going to suffer to some extent because you are believers. Because you are, quote, good in some senses. So let me just kind of spin this and let you understand correctly that this has nothing to do with you being punished. This has everything to do with the glory of God. Okay? So Peter is communicating this to them. And he says, look, persecution is going to come. And some of you are already experiencing persecution. Why is that? Well, to begin with, because once you've received the living hope, once you've been redeemed, so to speak, you've been saved, if you want to use that terminology, God transforms you and you have a new belief system. You have a new value system. So, in that particular culture, uh, in, particularly in the Roman Empire, what kind of things were going on? Well, prostitution was huge. Matter of fact, temple prostitution was huge. In other words, it was an act of worship to go into a temple and to be with a prostitute. Okay, the Christians stood against that. Where do you go to church? Well, I go here to the temple. <laughs> you, got, you know, actually, we don't, buy, we don't believe in that. We don't believe that. You start saying that enough, and, and now it's, it's my pleasure and my church. That began to be persecution. And, and we can, you can see the parallels even in our society today. Okay, so that was one. The values were different. They, they were different for multiple things. Um, we see with child prostitution was very big. We see infanticide was big. Homosexuality was big. Slavery was a huge issue. And Christians began, many of the Christians began releasing their slaves. Part of the reason is because a lot of them were slaves. So we see Christians standing, we see Christians standing against the gladiator games. Oh, that was huge. That would be like standing against the NFL today. I mean, literally. That's, that was kind of like NFL football. And so what kind of social pressure do you think they begin to experience? How about this one? They wouldn't worship the pagan gods. There were literally Thousands of gods then, literally. I mean, people made up gods. They brought them in from all cultures. You know, the sun god, the moon god, the, the ocean god, the, the earth god. 
the war god. There were gods for everything, and there were corresponding idols made for them, which we'll talk about in a moment was a huge part of their economy. And now Christians say, you know what? We're not going to worship there. We're not going to worship uh, those gods. And because of that, often when they would go into battle and if they lost, they'd come back and they'd blame the Christians. It's because you didn't appease the gods. A natural disaster would occur. It's because you don't believe in the gods. You don't believe in the earth god. You don't, you don't believe in these gods. And so they began to experience persecution in that manner because they wouldn't worship or even give respect to them. And then the fact that they believed that Jesus would come again and he would reign over the earth, that was highly offensive. That he will rule and he will make things right. Oh, my goodness. And last but not least, this was the biggie, economics. You say, how did it affect economically? It was huge. I mentioned to you earlier that uh, there were multiple gods. One of the biggest, big pieces of the commerce was the production of idols because there were so many gods and you could get little ones, big ones, mediums. You could get them in silver, gold, bronze, whatever. I mean, they were everywhere. If you went down the street, they were just, they were just on the sides and everybody's hawking a god. You know what I mean? An idol. And so that was a huge part of the economy. Those who were making them, those who were selling them. And, and then there was taxation on the gods. Uh, the government was making taxes on it. And so it was huge. Well, then as Christianity begins to spread, there aren't as many people buying idols. This is not good for our economy, I tell you. Not only that, as Christianity begins to spread, the temples that people would go to worship in and would pay fees in or, or tithe, whatever, they, whatever they gave to give honor to, those stopped happening. So less and less people were attending temples. Not only that, the sacrifices were a huge part of the economy because every time you go to one of those, it wasn't just the Christians who made sacrifice, or excuse me, the Jews who made sacrifices. And of course, now Christ has become the one and only sacrifice, Hebrews tells us. So there are no longer a need for animal sacrifices in, the, in, in Christianity. Well, now that mentality begins to spread. And now people aren't going and sacrificing to Zeus or sacrificing uh, to whatever God that they were. And so now nobody's buying those goats, sheep. Nobody's buying those pigeons, those bulls that they would have brought and sacrificed that, again, fed the economy, those who raised them, those who sold them. And so now it's having a, a real impact as Christianity grows on the culture, on the economics. And we already know it's about it's about the economy, stupid. I mean, it, it, that's already know that politically, don't we? That's that's our world. Let me tell you something. If we really stand for our values and it really affected the economy, I think we'd really learn what persecution was. Okay? I mean, I think we understand ostracism, but not really persecution. They are hitting them where it hurts the most. And so it's no wonder uh, that Nero, just a couple of years after this letter is written, when the fire comes, and many, you know, many historians think Nero started it himself so he could build some new buildings, plant. Hey, the Christians, because who's hurting the economy? Who's not worshiping the correct gods? Who's not buying? Who's causing the idols not to be? Where are we losing taxation? It was an easy finger to be pointed. So that's the persecution. That's the why. I used to always wonder when I was a kid, why are they always persecuting Christians? They don't do anything, you know? Well, yeah, they did. It's what they stood for more than even what they did that caused the persecution that you see here. So as we continue here. We see 
that there are new birthmarks that are made upon the Christians, that the Christians are different, that the believers in Christ are different. The Bible says in verse 3, Praise be to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's given us a new birth. It's that term, born again, that we have been transformed, that there's something new, that we've adopted or we've been adopted and we've been transformed into a new system, into a new understanding, into a new nature, the new birth, the new purpose. Now, my purpose isn't just to make money, isn't just to exist and try to have some fun. It is to bring God glory. It is an identifying mark. It is a picture of the new birth. Of what does it look like when someone really trusts Christ, really commits their life to Christ, has been transformed? A marker is that I have a new system, a new value. My value is Christ and Him glorified. So it affects everything that I do, the way that I live and what I value in life. My hope is now in Him, not in my stuff. And Jonathan Edwards says, we have new affections. New affection. He called them religious affections. What are our new affections? Well, now we have an affection for the Word of God. To worship. We now have an affection to see others know Him and know Christ. That's how we know the new mark upon us is that our affections are different. Before, we didn't really care about those things. If you mention prayer and Bible say, oh, well. But when I trust Christ and I receive Him, I've been given new affections, new values, things that I want. I now give and sacrifice and serve. It's not a fleshly deal. It's because God has transformed my heart and my affections. And it's an identifying mark for the Christian. There's a there's the picture James Deloach tells. He said one time I um I was in an art gallery and I saw this picture and this picture was. Uh, up in the mountains, and it was an old mountain shack that had obviously burned down, and all that left was was the chimney. And there's an older man in his long johns, and there's a little boy clutching a pair of overalls, and he's notably, you can tell that he's crying. And then the caption under it, the old man puts his arm around the little boy, and he's whispering to him, and he goes, Shh, God ain't dead. There's a great picture For us right there, we have a living hope. God's not dead, though the world may seem like it's in a mess. May it though it may seem like there is little hope. God ain't dead. God is still in control. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That sin and death have been defeated. This is not the end. This is not the final chapter. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation. So what do we have today? Well, we've been given a hope. What is that word hope? It's this. It's confident assurance of a future glory. That's what biblical hope is. It's confident assurance of a future glory. I can have hope, a living hope, a hope that I live out each day because I know 
for a fact, this isn't the way that it ends. I know for a fact that God is working and that he is redeeming my efforts in life to bring him glory. That it will be eternal, the redemption process, and that I am not wasting my time, money, or efforts. I have that hope. I have the inheritance that I experienced the blessing of God, the favor of God, because I have become his child through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I have inherited the benefits, the benefit of heaven, the eternal hope of eternity, where everything will be perfect, where everything shall be as it should be. And I exercise that through faith, the muscle of our hope. Faith is the byproduct of living hope. For example, I had surgery uh, about 10 years ago, and I had to go in. I had a I had appendix rupture. And um, I, I went there, and um, I, I was not feeling well at all. And when I got there, they said, we think your appendix have ruptured. We're going to have to go in and take those out immediately. And they came, and they gave me some happy juice. And um, and I just believed that everything was going to be fine. Okay, they're, they're going to give me some happy juice. They're going to knock me out. Some guy I don't know is going to come in here with a knife. He's going to cut me open. He's going to take some things out. He's going to sew me back up. And then I'm, and then I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be better. I don't understand that. I didn't even really know what was going to happen. I didn't get to see any of that, thank the Lord. I, I didn't see any of that, but I had an understanding and a faith and a hope that that's what was going to happen, that they knew. Even though I couldn't see the process, I couldn't understand the process, even though I couldn't do the process myself. There's a picture of the living hope that's been given to us. That's how we exercise our faith. Even though we can't see it, we can't understand it, we don't get it sometimes, we can know that we have the ultimate position that is working in and through our lives to produce salvation. Now, when we typically talk about salvation, most of the time we just think of it one-dimensionally. But there's actually three dimensions to salvation. It's multidimensional, okay? So I want you to understand when the Bible, particularly in 1 Peter, talks about salvation, it's talking about all three of these aspects. First of all, believers in Christ have been saved from the penalty of sin, okay? The Bible tells us um, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all right? For the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's what the price of sin is. But we have been forgiven. The penalty has been removed. Once I trust Christ and receive Him my Savior and confess my sins and ask for His forgiveness and make Him Lord of my life, I am forgiven. That penalty is removed. So that penalty of death, of eternal death apart from God, no longer exists for me as a believer in Christ. Okay, so I've been saved from the penalty. And right now, I am being saved from the power of sin. I live in a world where sin is rampant, where I still have a sin nation, nature, but through the Spirit of Christ, through the Spirit of God, I am being delivered from its power. As I grow and as I trust, as I mature in my faith, the power is strengthens me and sin has hopefully less of a hold on my life. So I've been getting power Salvation power to battle those addictions, those things that once controlled my life. Again, it doesn't mean that it's gone. It continues. But I've been given a power through the Spirit of God to deal with it. Okay? And number three, believers have ultimately, we will ultimately be saved from the presence of sin. Right now we live in the presence of sin. Sin is all around us. But one day we'll be completely saved from the presence. Okay? So I've been saved from the penalty. 
I'm being saved from the power and then the process of that occurring. And I will be saved from the presence one day. And that's what salvation really is. You know, the Jesus movie, when uh, many years ago I was in Kenya and uh, we showed the Jesus movie, which is a story of the life of Christ. Uh, and it's in I don't know how many languages uh, we did that one. That one was in the language of um, what's the Kenyan language? Somebody help me for a second here. Swahili. There you go. Swahili. Uh, I expect you folks to know that Swahili. And so I'm. I'm, you know, we watched that and I mean, just literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people would come. We'd go in these little community and everybody shows up. Uh, for one, there's no other drive-in movie in town. Uh, there's no other movie, period. But we put that big screen up and, and uh, we'd show it. And it was just amazing the number of people that come out and watch it. Well, now, you know, it's uh, they've come out with newer versions of it. But I was reading an article the other day about how they were showing it in Bangladesh. And this guy was reporting on what had happened. And he said, you know, I, I was there. They put the movie screen up. Everybody's there. It's just a packed place. And um, they're showing the movie. And, and many of the Bengalis had not ever seen the Jesus film, didn't really know the story. So it goes through the life of Christ. You see, uh, see this man who is perfect and sinless, who goes through life, who heals people, who loves people. And then they place him on the cross. They lay him on the cross. And then they place him in the grave. And he said, you know, as they place him in the grave, you can hear people just literally weeping and crying. He said, you kind of hear it through all these hundreds and hundreds of people. He said, you can just hear people starting to cry and, and weep. And this one little boy goes, hey, it ain't over. He gets up. <laughs> I, I've seen this before. He gets up. This isn't the end. He gets up again. Hey, that's the truth for us. That Jesus didn't stay in the earth, that he got up again. Here's the truth for you today. That you don't have to stay under the power of sin. That there's a living hope that you can get up again. Because Jesus has saved you from the penalty of sin. He wants to save you from the power of sin. And He will ultimately save you from the presence of sin. It ain't over. He got up. And He will get up again. The question is, will we go to be with Him? Will we get up? Do you know Him? Let's stop and pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. God, I, I thank you that your grace is more than sufficient and that, Lord, you provide a salvation from not only, Lord, the power of sin and the penalty of sin, but one day from the very presence. But until that day, God, we will live here in this fallen and broken world for the express purpose of bringing you glory, that we might demonstrate a living hope in you, that others may see your, of your goodness and your kindness and be drawn to you, which is the only purpose that we really have to exist. And so, God, I pray this morning for those who don't know their purpose, God, that you draw them to know the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who are struggling, Lord, would you... Give them living hope that this is not the end, that you are working in and through all things, that you are redeeming things even at this time. And there is coming a day where everything will make sense and all will be redeemed and all will be a place of peace and glory. Lord, again, if there's one that doesn't know you, I pray that this would be the day that they trust you, that they recognize, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness. Jesus, come into my heart, save me. 
Forgive me. Make me your child. I believe and I transfer my trust from anything I could do to what you've done. You are my purpose and my hope.